Good morning, church. Um, you know, just some exciting stuff. I want to touch on Caleb coming and just the excitement that's building, at least in my own heart, about him coming with, and his wife, Casey, and just really looking forward to that and looking for the opportunity for you guys to get to meet them. Um, just a neat opportunity. And, and um, you know, Pastor Todd has been preaching through a series called What Does the Bible Say About, as you saw with the intro there. Um, and it's, it's been really neat because we get to wrap up that series today, um, and we're going to be talking about what does the Bible say about marriage. And so if you're thinking, well, I'm not married, that's all right. I got something for you anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but as I look back, some of the topics that Todd, Pastor Todd has covered is, one is, is talking about um, faith and works, and we're going to touch a little bit about that today as well as we look at marriage. And then another one he was talking about was, you know, the, the topic of why do bad things happen to good people? And as we were able to, to kind of work through that, what we came to the realization is, is we're not good. And so the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. And so we understand that our definition of bad and good is not the same as God's definition. And so we'll look at some of those things as, as we work through our text today. Um, I, th- I thought it might be appropriate, since I'm preaching on marriage and Pastor Todd and I were talking about it, he's like, well, you've been married for all this time. Surely you're an expert. Yeah, no. So I thought I might give my qualifications just to start. Um, so Tony and I have been married for almost 33 years in September will be 33 years, and actually, when I heard Pastor Caleb talking about how he and his wife met, Tony and I met in this church, I was two, I think she was three, y'all can figure out who's older there, we won't even talk about it. She was chasing me around down in the nursery area, because she thought I was cute, Um, but it's neat how God just kind of worked our story. One day, you ought to sit down with us. We'll tell you about how he brought us back together at a later time. But we've been married for 33 years. We have three kids. Thank the Lord, all of them have come to know the Lord. We have five grandkids. Two of those have come to know the Lord, Levi and, and Liam, and I had the honor of baptizing them here right, right here at this church. And no, I did not cry. And there we are. That was, that was us whew, a lot of years ago. Um, and, uh, what? Oh, yeah, we were married here in this church. That's right. So I'm, Tony's feeding me notes today, by the way, in case y'all were curious. So it's just an exciting thing. And as you think about, boy, my qualifications to, to, to preach this sermon on marriage, y'all probably realize that, yeah, I still don't know what I'm doing. And so we're going to figure this out as we go. 
Um, the more I think I know, the more I realize, the less I really know. And, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of tackle this together. What I would like to do today is I'm going I'm to go ahead and tell you what we're going to talk about, and then we're going to talk about it. Um, so first, we're going to start out looking at marriage, God's design. And then we're going to, within that, we're going to look at kind of a subtopic on sin and the impact that that's caused. Then we're going to look at the second point will be marriage, it begins with you. And then thirdly, we'll look at marriage, the relationship. And, and there what we're going to look at is look at the roles with the husband and the wife within the marriage covenant, and then also just the relationship part of that. So hopefully that works well with y'all. If not, we're still going to do it anyway. And uh, that's what we're going to do. So as we think about um, kind of our, uh, I'll call it a tradition, I guess, is what we have is a, a uh, takeaway biblical truth. And so I want to start with that today. And it's just, it, it's pretty simple, really. It just says that marriage is ordained by God and intended to be fruitful in physical and spiritual multiplication representing a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church to the world. So hopefully that makes sense to y'all. And hopefully we're going to, as we work through this, that's where we'll land um, about 1.30ish, somewhere around in there. Um, somebody was asking me how much, you know, they always worry when I'm preaching that I'll go too long. And I said, well, it'll be fine today because we're going to have an intermission and then we'll pick up after lunch. Okay, well, let, let's go ahead and pray. We'll pray that I get through this quick. I'm going to really talk fast in some areas, so you all have to listen fast. Um, there's some scripture we're going to actually read through, and then there's some that we're just going to reference. And so I encourage you to take note of that and perhaps go back and look at it at a later time. Um, so let's pray before we get started, and then uh, we'll go from there. So Lord, I just, uh, Lord, I just ask that you would just set me aside, use me, Father, Speak through me, despite me. And God, that you would just open our hearts to what your word has to say. I pray that we would just allow your word to speak for itself. Um, Lord, it does not need us to add to it or to take away from it. And so God, just, I pray that we would just rest in your word today, Father. Love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, let's start out. We're going to start out in Genesis chapter 1. We'll read some scripture, then we'll kind of talk through... Um, the first point, which is marriage, God's design. And so we're starting in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31, and the, and the scripture should be on the screen behind me. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth, of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth and for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and the morning the sixth day. And then jumping to Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25, 
It reads, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Okay, so let's just kind of go through this. As I mentioned, I'm going to kind of go through some of this stuff really quickly, and then there's points where I'm going to stop, and we'll just jump in just a little bit and, uh, and go from there. So the first thing I want us to see is that marriage is God-ordained. And we can see that in, in uh, Genesis 1, 27, where he says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So I want to stop right there for just a second and make sure we're very, very clear on something. God created them male and female. There is no other option. Okay, in today's society, we're, we're, we're getting confused on truth. I hear things like, well, that's my truth, or this is my truth, or you have to respect my truth. And the reality is, I can respect you as a person, but I don't have to respect your truth. Because the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth. There is no other truth. That is the truth. And so people can, can talk about how they want to be identified and those kind of things. But the reality is God created man and woman, and that's it. Those are the two options. And marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. That's what God's Word says. So that's, we're going to let God's word be sufficient in that. And so I want to make sure we stop there and, and we're very clear on that. Okay, the second thing I want us to look at is God called marriage very good. If you look back, it says he took a step back and he looked at everything that he had created. And that was including all the, all the plants and the birds and the animals and including Adam and including Eve. And he brought them together and he took a step back and he said, it is very good. It is very good. And that's a neat, for God to call something very good, and we talked about bad and good, for God to call something very good, it must mean it was pretty spectacular to see what God had created. The next thing I want us to see is that marriage was intended for life. He brought Adam and Eve together, and there really was no other option. There was no plan B. There was no, they were there in the garden together, and God put them there in full communion with him for life. The next thing I want us to see is there was no shame. There was no shame. It says, the Bible says that they were naked and felt no shame. Really, I think that's just a picture, not... You know, we think of nakedness as being a physical thing, but nakedness could also be referenced a spiritual thing. We're naked before God. We are completely stripped of everything. When God looks at us, he sees to the heart of man. And we are naked before him. And they felt no shame. But I'm going to tell you, because of sin, there's shame. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But there was no shame. The next thing I wanted us to look at, and Pastor Todd preached on this a little bit, he touched on it when he talked about faith and works, was marriage was intended to produce works and to be fruitful. If you look at God's Word, he says, 
God said to be fruitful and maintain the garden that he had given them. And so really what he was talking about was to, he put them in the garden to maintain it and to, to have fruit that came out of that so that there was food for the animals and for themselves to be fruitful. He also talked, talked to them and said he wanted them to multiply. And obviously he was talking about physical multiplication, right? To fill the earth. That's part of it. And here's what I want you to get. It wasn't just that they were filling the earth with people. They were filling the earth with image bearers of God. What is God's word? He said, God said, let us create him in our image. So they were image bearers. They were the perfect image bearers of God. And by their multiplication, they were creating image bearers. Right? Remember, sin had not entered. So God said, go and multiply, create image bearers as I have created you. And then he wanted them to subdue. Subdue the animals, subdue the garden, basically to rule over what he had created for them. Now I want to just take a quick time out here for just a second and, and let's talk about where we are. We are at a place where God has created a perfect place. He's created man outside the garden. He's created Eve, brought Eve to man and to quote David Allen, when God brought, when God brought uh, Eve to Adam, I think the hillbilly came at him and he probably said, oh, son. He was pleased. If you remember, he said, at last, finally, man, this is good. You've brought someone to me who was bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. To me, that's great. That's good. And he said, okay, I'm placing you in the garden that I've prepared for you. And if we just stop right there, that's God's design. Perfect communion with God. Perfect fellowship with God. Perfectly in the whole will of God. But you know in the Bible sometimes when you're reading and you see a ver- you read a chapter and then you see a verse that says, but God and normally that means God's doing something. God's moving in a way. There's, a, there's also, a, I'll call it a, a, a but man, and it's not necessarily in Scripture, but I think it's just the way we live. This is one of those but mans, because God set up the perfect design, his design, but man. And that's the next thing I want us to take a quick peek at, is really sin entered the world. And once sin came in, things took a little bit of a change. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It says, no, you will certainly not die. That's Satan speaking. He says, no, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, if man had never sinned, he would have continued to always rule in wisdom and love. And you see, if woman had never sinned, she would have... She would have always obeyed 
with humility and meekness as Adam's helpmate. But unfortunately, they sinned and brought sin into the world. And one of the things we see is that what happened because of this sin is they took what God had said was very good and they marred it with sin. They messed it up. They broke that, that covenant relationship, that fellowship with God is broken by sin. And now we're born in, we're not born as perfect image bearers. We're born as we have a sinful nature just because of that initial act of sin by Adam and Eve. Now, what's interesting to note is that once sin took place, Adam and Eve had to be removed from the garden. And it's interesting to me that God just didn't say, okay, you guys need to go and allowed them to mosey on out. He actually took them and placed them outside the garden. He placed them outside the garden, which is an interesting thing. He also took them from a place of, um, of tending the garden to now toiling and working and um, struggling to produce food, working the ground. Because if you remember, if you read through some of that scripture, God cursed the ground because of Adam. And so what that meant was now there was going to have to be work. It was going to be hard. There were going to be times that he was struggling to produce the food that God had already provided for them in his perfect will and communion. I want us to also note that when sin came in, we went from perfect fellowship to fear. If you remember, when Adam and Eve first realized they were naked, they heard God walking in the garden and they were afraid. There was no fear before sin, but all of a sudden now they're afraid because they, just like I mentioned before, they realized they were naked. And I think that's more than, as I mentioned, it's not just the clothes that they didn't have on. It was their, just their um, spiritual nakedness before a holy God, realizing that they had sinned against a holy God and they were exposed that's the nakedness that I think we were talking about. And so Adam and Eve's their, their man's um, remedy to that nakedness was to create some or sew these fig leaves together to cover up their nakedness, which we typically try to do. We try to cover up our own sinful nature, and it's never enough. It's never enough. And we'll look at that here in just a second. I want you to also notice that they went from innocence to shame, which we just talked about. They went from fruitful multiplication to painful multiplication. God said that he was going to increase pain in childbearing. I mean, there's consequences to our sin. Even back with Adam and Eve, there's consequences to that. They went from subduing to enmity. Really, that's just hostility. Enmity between God's creation and man. There was now hostility and working, and, and it's not as easy to just subdue everything. There's hostility towards that. And then the, the other thing I want us to see, and this is really important, is sin, with the entering, entering of sin into the world, it brought sacrifice. And you say, well, where, where do you see that? So I see that in, in Genesis three twenty one. The Lord said, the Lord God made clothing for skins from the man and his wife, and he clothed them. And so those, those skins came from the animals that God had created. The sacrifice, he had to sacrifice those animals who were initially intended for food, were now sacrificed so that God could provide a covering 
for Adam and Eve. And what I want us to see is his covering and his provision was a complete covering. It was full clothes for them, not just the fig leaves that they had tried to put together. So I need, to, I need us to get that, that God's covering is a full covering. This is really just a picture of Jesus. This is a foretelling of Jesus coming where his redemption is full, where his covering is full. You know, I, th- I think about it this way. There's a story uh, I had told a long, long time ago where um, there is a, a thief who is caught. And the thief has to be beaten for um, stealing and all this kind of stuff. And through the uh, declaration of the king, the king said, once we catch this dude, he's going to be beaten and he's going to be killed. And come to find out, it was the king's son. And so the king comes and positions himself over the boy and then says, beat the thief. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus stepped into our place and said, now beat the thief. Jesus got on a cross for us. He didn't have to. He took the sin and the shame that we should have experienced, and he covered it completely and fully. That's the picture we see here. Okay, so the next thing I want us to understand is um, is that marriage is now temporal. So earlier marriage was for life. Now marriage or eternity, and marriage is temporal now. And you see that in Matthew 22. Real quickly, I'll, I won't read the scripture. I'll just tell you the story. So the Sadducees come to Jesus to try to trick him as normal practice for them. And they asked him about a, a woman who is married to a man who has seven brothers. The first husband dies. She doesn't have any children, as was the custom. Then the brothers would step in and, you know, on up the chain and marry her, try to produce a line through that. All seven married her, had no kids. And they asked the question, they said, well, Jesus, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Well, the funny thing was that um, the Pharisees didn't even believe in the resurrection. And so they were asking the question. And Jesus, you know, pretty clearly just says, you know, the problem is you don't even understand Scripture. You don't even understand Scripture. And so he says they won't be given in marriage or taken in marriage, but will be like angels. So once we're resurrected, we won't be married again. We're not going to be given in marriage. We'll probably know. I don't know all of that. But perhaps I assume we'll know our wives and husbands, but we won't be given and and taken in marriage. And so very interesting to see how that changed a little bit. Um, The next thing I want to to kind of grasp is, um, is that sin put death and separation of a perfect communion with God. If you look at uh, Galatians 5, one of the things I just want us to get this is when we look at what God designed in the garden between man and woman, it was a perfect um, communion with him, but also perfect for them, perfect love. God created sex within the marriage relationship, and it was perfect, and it was beautiful, and it was designed specifically for that relationship. And what we've done once sin entered the world, we have taken what God has said is very good, and we have made it um, not good. If we look at what's happened in our world today, we have turned a perfect thing that God created to the marriage relationship 
And out of that, things like um, premarital sex, pornography, um, sex within, outside of the marriage relationship, child molestation, the list goes on and going. How we have perverted something that God designed for good and we have perverted to something bad. And we can see that in Galatians chapter 5. It says this, it says, the acts, of the, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, uh, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, uh, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Boy, that's a lot. That's a lot that how sin has impacted the world today and how um, we operate within that and how we have perverted what God has created as good. The other thing I want us to, to kind of touch on really quickly, because you really can't talk about divorce, I don't feel like, or marriage without talking about divorce. And I don't want that to be a major topic of this. The reality is marriage is a consequence of sin. Or, or I'm sorry, divorce is a consequence of sin. Yeah, marriage is not a consequence of sin. <laughs> is that a Freudian slip? I'm not sure. But divorce is a consequence of sin. And divorce comes out of the hardness of heart. So I want us to understand this and be real clear on this. The Bible does not command divorce. Okay, the Bible does not command divorce. But it permits it, it regulates it, and it limits divorce in certain situations. And so we'll talk about those real quickly. Um, as I mentioned, the the Bible allows it, and if you look at uh, Matthew 19, 3 through 9, it talks about that uh, Jesus allowed divorce because of the hardness of the hearts, because of the hardness of the hearts of people. Um, God's design is for marriage to be permanent, but the reality is we're sinful people. We're sinful people, and we sin not only within the marriage relationship, and God always would want there to be restoration um, I've known uh, couples who, where there's been infidelity within relationships, and then God has been able to restore that because the believers not only were able to ask for forgiveness for that act, but also then the forgiveness on, on the spouse's side to be able to bring restoration. And God's desires for the always to be restoration, always to be restoration, but because of the hardness of our hearts, sometimes there's not, and there won't be. And so, real quickly, as we, as we look at that, through the study that I've done, I really see three areas where I would say the Bible permits or regulates divorce. And one is adultery. And so, we know what that is, and that, the reference to that is in Matthew 19, 3 through 9, as I mentioned. And that's in the, in the marriage relationship, someone having an adulterous relationship outside of that relationship, and not willing to... Um, to cease those activities, to ask for forgiveness, to bring back and ask for restoration. And then, and potentially even the spouse not, a, not wanting or not able to, to be able to do that. Again, hardness of our hearts. God always wants restoration. So that's, that's one. The second would be if a non-believing spouse leaves a believing spouse. And so that's in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 15. And so the scenario would be, you're, you're a believer, you're married to a non-believer, and that spouse decides to no longer live with you and, and leaves you. You would then be released from that covenant, that marriage covenant relationship. <clears throat> and then thirdly, physical abuse. And you can tie mental abuse, physical abuse, kind of all that together. 
the reference I'll give you is 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. And really that's a reference to the qualifications for somebody who wants to, um, I think it's for an elder. And it goes back and talks through um, that, that the elder should not be, the, the Greek word used there is not a striker, meaning someone who hits, someone who beats their wife. And so as you think through that, you're like, well, how does that really tie to marriage? Well, if you kind of chase that down, you know, if someone is persisting in that, there's, there's ramifications to that within the church. And so um, I just ask that you go and read that. And what I would say is if you have questions about those, any of those three topics, come talk to me. We can walk through those together or with Pastor Todd. Be happy to do that and walk through that with you. The biggest thing I want us to get is we're all sinners. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Y'all got that right. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. It is due to the hardness of hearts. Second thing I want us to see within that is this. So many times you see this. Um, men and women get divorced. And any time that that happens, there needs to be a healing to take place. Because there's hurt. Um, there is damage that is done within that. You know, God designed us to, be, to become one flesh. And when that is pulled apart, part of us goes with that relationship if it's broken. And so there needs to be healing within that. There needs to be potentially counseling. There needs to be grieving. There needs to be things that happen to, you know, we talk about restoration, to restore yourself so that you can then be prepared to move, move on to what God has for you. Does that make sense? Okay. The second point I want to go to is, is marriage. It begins with you. Um, the first question I would have is, are you redeemed or are you religious? Are you redeemed or are you religious? We have to get our own personal relationship with Jesus right first before we can step into another relationship with a human another human, and get that right. We have to do that first. You know, the Bible talks about um, there being a narrow gate and a wide gate, and that's the reference to that is Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And the wide gate they're talking about, he says, many go in into damnation, into um, hell. That's the path that leads to destruction. And then they say, narrow is the way, narrow is the gate that leads to life. And I want us to get a picture of this because the narrow they're talking about there, the connotation around that is that it's a tight fit. It's not this little thing where we just kind of walk through. It's where you have to kind of move. It, it takes work to get through this narrow gate. It's not just this easy path that we just walk right through. And so what I want us to, to make sure and be clear is don't be deceived Brother and sister, don't be deceived because you come to church or because your mom and dad went to church or because, you know, you, you've actually said a prayer somewhere when you were two or four or maybe you were, uh, you know, baptized as a child. Don't be deceived because there is only one way to come to the Father. There's only one way. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, it says, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. We're not, we're not accepting 
um, this religion. We're accepting a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord. He is in all, through all, created all. That's who we're being saved by and saved through. And if you don't have that relationship, then I would ask you to check yourself and get alone with God. You to check yourself and get alone with God and let him reveal that to you. The other thing I would just say is um, we must be doers of the word. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, says when we encounter God through his work, there's always action to be taken. When God calls us to action, there should be works that are through that. When we experience a holy God, when we read God's word, there's action to be taken. God calls us to action. James called that to be a doer of his word. The other thing I want us to look at and really be very conscious of is, okay, once I'm a believer or once I'm married, how do I guard that relationship? How do I guard that relationship? So there's a couple things, a couple ways we can do that. One is to fear God, to have a reverent fear of a holy God. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Man. Well, that just, as I was reading through and studying through this, to mock a holy God. You know, I can think back when I was a child. And if I chose to mock my dad, um, I would be spitting chiclets because he would have busted me in my eye or in my mouth. Like that just didn't, didn't go over well. And to think that we would do that to a holy God, our creator, our sustainer, one who created all, but yet we do. We mock him by the things we say. We mock him by our actions. We mock him by what we pursue. And that's just not us as believers. That's us within the marriage relationship. We'll talk about that in just a second. And then it goes on to say, For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows in the Spirit reap eternal life from the Spirit. And then in Philippians 2.12 it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Really that working out is, is just a fancy word for that is sanctification. It means you're continuing to work out your salvation, continuing to be more like pursuing the Christ-likeness that he calls us to. Okay, the second one is prayer. Man, we've got to connect to the source. God is our source. Jesus is the source. How many of y'all plugged your uh, cell phones in last night because you didn't want to be dead today? Yeah, well, Todd, I'm not sure about maybe. He's 50-50, you never know. <laughs> But that's the thing, right? We want to plug into the source because that's where the power comes from. And I, I see two, two areas of that. One is sometimes we just, we're like, yeah, I'm plugged in. I'm a believer, but I don't have any cell service today, so I can't access the source. Man, I'm just telling you, Jesus is, the God's word is the source. Jesus is the source. Prayer is when we connect with a holy God. That's when we connect with a holy God. And then, uh, lastly, God's Word. Get in God's Word. Get in God's Word. Understand God's Word. Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. You know, if we're not actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus as a, as a believer, producing fruit out of that relationship, 
how do we expect to be to go if you're not married and you're thinking about being married to go into a marriage relationship and be able to a relationship that that is about service that's about sacrifice how do we expect to be able to go into that type of relationship and be fruitful and be successful <clears throat> the reality is we don't a lot of times because marriage is a hard thing marriage is one of the hardest things you'll ever do because it's every day all day you have to be engaged you can't take days off um, okay so let's let's look at the last point here um, marriage the relationship we're going to look at husbands and wives in the relationship and I'm going to try to go quickly through this um, probably y'all been waiting for this Ephesians 5 right for me to get there all right Ephesians 5 22 through 33 says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church he is the savior of the body <clears throat> now as the church submits to Christ so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything husbands Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water for the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife, wife as himself and wife to respect her husband. I want to not read 1 Corinthians just for a, for a, a, a bit of time, but basically the, the gist of 1 Corinthians is just this. Um, husbands and wives, you're to come together. Um, you're not to um, hold out from each other within the marriage relationship for different reasons. And we'll talk about those reasons in just a minute. But I don't I want to spend the time. I'd rather talk about it. So wives, I'm going to start with you. Okay? Bible's real clear on the relationship. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Caveat to that is, as unto the Lord. And so as you're thinking about how do I submit, I don't really want to submit, that's not in my nature, God's Word says to submit. If you're submitting to the Lordship of Christ, remember we talked about it starts with you, if you submit to the Lordship of Christ, you should have no problem submitting to the husband that God has given you. Honor and respect him. To me, this is kind of one of those things that as we honor Christ, we honor our spouse, but I think it goes more than that. It's, it's around the words that I speak in regard to my spouse. Do I speak words of life? How do I speak about them when they're not around? Do I lift them up? Do I encourage them? How do I honor them in the way that I act to and towards them? Okay, the next one, you're required to serve alongside. You're not subservient, right? You're not in the background. You're, to, you're a helpmate. You're to serve alongside your husband, to come alongside them and to serve along with them. And then also, and this is in 1 Corinthians, your body is not your own. Fulfill your wifely duties. And, and when you go back and read those verses, there is no if statement there. There is no if I feel like it or if my husband does this, then maybe I will. There are no if statements in that scripture. And so I want us to be very clear on that. And then 
do not deprive each other, it says, except for a time of prayer. So there are exceptions to where there's a time of prayer that maybe they're setting aside. I almost look at it as like a fast. We're fasting from coming together to be able to focus on maybe what God has for us as a couple or what God has us for us as an individual believer. <clears throat> now, obviously, there's always exceptions, right? There's medical conditions that could cause things that maybe uh, prolong that ability to come together as husband and wife. And, and obviously, we want to acknowledge that. But God's word is clear on those things. Okay. Now, husbands, it's your turn. And I'll just say this. To me, the wife, wife's side of the house is a little easier than us. Because the first thing God, uh, Scripture tells us is, love your wives. Eh, seems simple enough. But what does it say after that? It says, as Christ loved the church. Wow. So how did Christ love the church? Well, Jesus, <laughs> sitting at the right hand of the Father, says, yeah, okay, I'll go. Comes down, takes on the fullness of man, lives a sinless life, is beaten, is spat upon, takes the, the, the um, torment that I deserve, takes the shame that I deserve, the church deserves, and he covers the church. That's what love is. So husbands, as you're thinking and you're running through your head, how you doing so far? Maybe not so good. We're to love our wives as Christ of the church. We're to give ourselves up. Really, if you think about it, Jesus gave up everything, set it aside, and said, I love you that much. That's what, how we're supposed to serve our wives, is I'm giving up who I am to serve my wife. That's what it, that's what it says. Now, I look at that as watch care as well. Like we're to watch care of the physical and emotional well-being of our, of our spouses. Um, quick story on that. Tony and I were in the movies. This is years ago. I had a little, little more uh, twinkle in my eye at that time. And we were coming out of the movies, and we see this commotion going on. These groups of kids were arguing or whatever, and I decided I would get involved in the situation. So I get over there, and I separate smaller kid and a bigger kid, kind of bullying separate them. I've got my arm or my arm like this on one guy's chest that he's now, he's gotten way braver since I stepped in. I'm not sure why. And his heart is just pounding out of his chest. I feel it pounding. I'm like, okay, he's a excited. And I got my hand like this on this guy. I'm talking to this guy. I'm talking to this guy. And I, Tony, I was over here, I thought. This guy slaps my hand and knocks it down. And before I can turn back around and look at him, Tony's in between me and him. I mean, like nose to nose with the guy, ready to take him down. I'm not sure what she was doing, but she was ready to go. She was protecting her man. I'm like, yeah, that a girl. So me, now I've got more problems, right? I've got this guy behind me. I've got this other kid. And now my wife's in between. I'm not sure. So I just take and I scoop her and I pull her behind me. I want you to see that picture. That's what Jesus does for us. He takes us and he scoops us. And he stands in between us and the shame and the pain. That's what God does for you. That's watch care. Husbands, do you love your wives like that? Do you scoop her out of the way and stand in between, stand in the gap for her and love her in a way like Christ loved the church? 
That's what a marriage relationship looks like. That's what a man's supposed to do. Why do you think we have so much divorce? Because the men won't stand up and love their wives like they're supposed to. I guarantee you start serving your wife like that. I guarantee you she's going to be submissive to you. She's going to look at you and say, whatever you want to do, Suge. I'll follow. You just lead me. That's the problem. We need some men in this world and in this church to step up and say, I'm going to serve God. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to serve God the way he says to serve him, not what the world says. Now, we want to get some marriages right. That's the way to do it right here, the way God's word says. Let his word be sufficient in what it says. Quit listening to Dr. Phil and quit listening to God help us. Couples court, we were on vacation. I watched that. Lord, help us. We're in trouble. We need to listen to what God's word says. That's how we fix marriages. That's how we keep the marriage rate, divorce rate from going up. That's how we have restoration, not only within our marriages, but outside of that, once there's divorce, that's how we have restoration. We have to have healing. Okay, got a little excited on that one. Now I want to talk about the relationship, the relationship part of this. So now we've got wives, we've got husbands, and now we've got really the relationship. Okay, I'm going to step on a few toes here. And I, honestly, I don't care. It is what it is. A Christ-centered, eternity-minded marriage is not the same as a fun marriage. And you're probably thinking, what in the world do you mean by that? I mean, what is the fruit that's coming out of your marriage? Is it fun? Or are you producing fruit out of your marriage? You know, we look back to the garden. God told him, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful in your marriage. What is the fruit that's coming out of your marriage? God wants us to put our faith into action. James says this in 2.14, says, What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? No. You know, here's, Tony and I have been teaching, I was going to say Sunday school, that's old school, I guess I can't say that here. Sunday school, Bible groups, whatever it is, right? We've been teaching a long time. A lot of those have been couples. And we did this couples retreat many, many years ago. And one of the things out of that, we asked the, the couples, like, do you have a mission and vision statement for your marriage? You know, here at Arlington, we have, a, we have the overarching mission statement, right, which is we exist to lead all people or to lead people into a world-changing relationship with Jesus. That's the overarching church. That's the overarching mission. That should be the mission of our marriage, right? But what is the vision within that that you as couples are going to to bless others, to produce fruit. God just didn't put you together to have fun. Now, don't, don't, mis, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Yes, you can have fun within the marriage relationship. And yes, you can go and do things and have fun. But what, is, what, is your, what are your priorities? What is your focus? What is the outcome of your marriage fruitfulness? Do you have a mission vision? As I was studying, this one hit me pretty hard here. It says, 
Quit only consuming God's Word. Sounds kind of weird to say that. But God wants us to work off what we've consumed. He wants us to work off what we consume. What good is it if I'm over here and all I'm doing is just soaking up God's Word, soaking up God's Word? I mean, that's good, right? That's not a bad thing. But I need to be working it off. You see, the design is for us to be filled up and poured out. Filled up and poured out. The problem is, a lot of times, maybe we're not filling up or maybe we're not pouring out. But that's the design is to fill up with God's word and with his direction for our life and then to pour out. We're to do that as couples. We're to do that as individuals. We are to work out our salvation. And then the last one, you know, we think about serving. How do I serve? Hmm, how do I serve? Well, <laughs> one way is, you know, if your spouse is in here with you, just look, look next door there to them. Start there. Start serving your spouse in the way that God called you to serve. The next thing I want to look at real quickly is, is marriage is eternal. And I know I've jumped back and forth between it was eternal, then it was temporal, now it's eternal. But the marriage here is talking about um, the marriage that we are the bride of Christ. No longer will we have our earthly marriages, but we are now the bride of Christ, and that is for eternity. And that's in, in the, uh, Isaiah 54, 5. Are you being fruitful as a married couple? Are you being fruitful? You know, I think as we, as we take a step back and we look at where God said, be fruitful and multiply, takes on a little bigger meaning now than it did when he said it to Adam and Eve. Because the fruitfulness and the multiplication, I think, are, yes, they're a physical multiplication. But now because we're no longer perfect image bearers of, of God because of sin that's that crept into the world, multiplication takes on a different aspect. It's not only physical multiplication, but it's spiritual multiplication. So couples, individuals, believers... Are you multiplying spiritually within your marriage relationship? And think about that. So what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. Think about your family, your, your, your own family members, your friends, the people within your, your own sphere of influence. That's what God's called us to do, to multiply image bearers. And we do that now through introducing them to Jesus. Um, go ahead and ask us. The praise team, I think Spencer is coming up. If Whenever you get a second, come on up. Um, as we look at marriage, we've talked about that it should be a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. What does that look like? It looks like serving. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like watch care. It looks like restoration. And the last question I'm going to leave with you guys today. What picture does your marriage portray? What picture are you showing to the world? Is it a, is a picture of fun and having a good time? Is it a picture of eternal focus on eternity-focused priorities? Are you multiplying within the marriage relationship in a way that is um, fruitful?
Because if you're not, I think it's time that we, we, we take a step back and reevaluate what we're doing. You know, we're not here to have fun, although we get to. Our purpose is to serve our God outside and inside the marriage relationship. The invitation today is really a couple things. I'm going to ask Pastor Todd in a few minutes if he'll stand on this side over here, and I'm going to ask Tony to be over here on this side. And really, it's in a couple ways. We talked about the marriage relationship. And so if you look at your marriage and you think, boy, we need, we need to refocus. We need prayer over and on our marriage. Maybe you're struggling. I don't know. And you want prayer for your marriage in, in any of those areas. I'm going to ask that you would come and, and pray with Pastor Todd over here. And then if you're a, a single person, perhaps you have are just single and you're still thinking about marriage and, and you want to be prayed for in that as you prepare yourself to be married to another person. Uh, or if you're, you've been through a divorce already and there's just a healing that still needs to take place. Or if there's uh, restoration that still needs to happen. I would ask that you come and, and pray with Tony over here. And then thirdly is going to be salvation. And I've asked Levi, as you guys know, I like to incorporate my grandkids into the service for a lot of different reasons, um, to show them that it's, it's about serving God. But as was mentioned earlier today, stand over here, I want them to be able to see your pretty face. As we mentioned earlier, there was a death in the Parsons family. And it touched this little dude right here. And so he wanted to read something. And I'm going to let him give a little bit of the invitation today if you're not a believer. So Levi, go ahead and read what you got there, buddy. So my Spanish teacher died on a Thursday night. She had cancer, and it was so hard for me. And I cried. And one thing I know about Miss Vales was that she knew Jesus and, and Jesus said, Miss Vales, it's time to come with me to heaven. So she went with him and I'm happy because she's cured and she has no sickness and no pain. And she was the happiest person I ever met. And she then, then she died. I wish she was here so she, that she can make me happy and I love her so much and she loves me too. Why don't you want to say bye? Oh, um, so if anybody doesn't know Jesus, um, y'all can come up um, to pray with my mimi with, to, with me and my poppy, um, just to have Jesus in your heart, and you can go to heaven. Amen. So the reason I wanted Levi to come and share that is he and I were talking about Miss Vales and just the impact that a believer had on his life that he saw joy in her life. She was dealing with cancer for years, and she had joy in her life. And for this little man right here, who's, who's a young believer, to be able to see that in somebody who was walking through the trials of life and still giving honor to Jesus, that's the kind of man I want him to be. And I also want you to see that salvation is as easy as a child can understand as he just expressed. He wants you to come to know Jesus so that one day you'll go to heaven where Miss Vales is. 
he understands it. He was so sad when Miss Vales died. And he, he was talking to Tony and I, and just about he was crying and, and just wanted her back because he loved her so much. But then he said, I know she's with, he, with, with Jesus in heaven, and she wouldn't want to come back. So those are, those are the invitations today, whether you need prayer over your marriage, whether you need restoration through divorce or through singleness, whatever it may be, or whether you need to just understand who is this Jesus you've been talking about. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as opening our hearts and accepting the name of Jesus, the man, the way, the truth, the life. That's how we come to know the Father. So let's pray, and then I just ask that you move as God leads. Father, we just thank you for just this opportunity that you've given us to, to preach and to, Lord, just to share your word. God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of your people. Lord, that you would be blessed and that you would be honored. God, that you would allow us to, um, Lord, just to be obedient to your call. So God, we love you, we bless you, in Jesus' name, amen.
contest before you and I I'm lost without you I'd like to thank y'all just for hanging in there with me. I know I went over a little bit, maybe a lot of it. Happens. Um, just to see. Jesus loves you. And if you don't have that relationship with him, I beg you to seek after him. This is simple enough that a child can understand. That a child can see another person living out the life that God's called him to live. So we get to be at the, the, the best part of the service. We get to actually take what we've learned and we get to go and we get to share it with other people. So I'll just encourage you as a married couple to go and bless someone, as a believer, go and bless someone. Work out what God's doing in your life. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed.